One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right, Mike, I, uh, normally we'd have time for pleasantries, but this is probably the big, busiest show that we've had, and we don't have all that much time to talk about it. Obviously, we're four days into the Maple Leafs uh, free agent window. They've made five, six signings or five, six big moves. Uh, we're going to break down all of them as much as we can, uh, but you know, we do have to check in. So what's going on? How are we feeling? How have you been able to reflect on what's happening? What's your What's your sort of status check on what's happening with the Leafs and how that intersects with your life, Mike? Well, I, I reflect on these things like I reflect on everything. I light a candle, I pour myself a glass of rosé, and I just kind of, you know, let myself ponder what the Leafs are really up to. Um, no, it's, it's, this has been such a, like, such a fascinating last couple of days because, you know, we, we had Thanksgiving and it came, you know, over, over the weekend. And this is one of those weird like it's so weird to be covering free agency at a time when the season should just be starting. We should all be focusing on that. And at the same time, then we had the Thanksgiving weekend and that kind of is, is weird because we can't really see our family. So it was, it was just a big jumble of things, but man, having the draft and free agency back to back in the middle of October and just how long each coverage, each form of coverage was, was fantastic. And, and there's just so much stuff to talk about. I cannot wait. I've been chomping at the bit ever since we recorded our draft podcast. So obviously a busy three-day weekend uh, with tons of things to break down and think about and what's happening with the NHL. But also, obviously, it's the Leafs podcast. So what's happening with the Leafs? I think uh, what we knew about the Leafs or what we knew about what the Leafs want to do sort mm-hmm. of been challenged because we've seen some different sides of Kyle Dubas oh, and yeah. Leafs management. And they've obviously reflected on some failures in, in the postseason last several years. Uh, and they're making changes to their process on the fly. And we're learning on the fly, what's happening inside the, that boardroom and, and what they're trying to do with their hockey team. So, yeah, there's lots to dig into, and I don't think we should waste any more time. Let's go Not through every fun. signing trade one by one. We'll talk about how we feel, how we felt then, how we might feel now, that we've seen more signings come through, uh, and we'll just dig into all of it. So let's start with Wayne Simmons. There was no mm-hmm. tampering because the Buffalo Sabres gave the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, uh, the opportunity to talk with Simmons beforehand. And it didn't take long for him to, you know, for the Wayne train to pull through Union Station, as uh, as I wrote on my in my lead on the on the story. Um, oh man, that was a good one. Home t- chose his hometown team over the Montreal Canadiens, uh, so more bragging rights there for Leafs fans versus the Habs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is one that I immediately wasn't too thrilled about because what I wanted to see, what I didn't want to see from the Maple Leafs was them just going after brand names and hoping something was going to stick. Like there's still, th- there's still talk about Joe Thornton. I don't really see the point in that to be, to be honest. I think the Leafs need utility over brand name. 
And right now, at this stage of his career, Simmons is probably more of a name than he is an impact player. However, when you put that against the backdrop of $1.5 million, you see what happened with Kyle Clifford, him going to the St. Louis Blues for, it was a cheap rate, but him moving on, he's the better player than Kyle Clifford. So if you're, if you're comparing one in, one out, obviously Wayne Simmons gives you a little bit more because he can play on the power play. He's a guy who can do the same things as Clifford in terms of his physicality. Uh, but there's also scoring. He's miserable to play against when he's at his best. And this is a guy who is not too far away from being a real impact player in the league. Does he have that left? How will 10 months of not playing, you know, affect him? You know, who's to say? But it's not much of a gamble. It's a pretty safe play and something that can have seriously high, high upside. I'm not sure where he slots in the lineup. I think that was one of my concerns. Obviously, he doesn't belong in the top six. Is he going to have enough talent around him to be an impact player on the right side with, you know, maybe Alex Griffith being all that he has to go on with that third line? And Nick Robertson, maybe. And Nick Robertson, maybe. That doesn't seem like, you know, the Jimmy most... Jimmy Who knows? Doesn't seem like the most coherent line, but I think mm-hmm. they got the parts that they're, you know, we'll get into all the parts later. Uh, but on the, you know, just on Simmons alone, we talked about what Corey Perry or Corey Perry type could bring to mm-hmm. the Maple Leafs. This is a guy who can do the exact same things as Corey Perry. And he comes at only $1.5 million. I don't think Perry made all that much more than that, but this is sort of in that same mold. And what I also like about him is that he's eager to pander to Maple Leaf fans, like yeah. saying that he's ready to punch some face off, face off their faces off people. I guess that didn't work the way I said it. Um, <laughs> great but movie, but I think he wants to do it right. I think he understands what makes a popular Maple Leaf, which is bringing that, not, I don't want to say truculence because I think we've all moved past that, but just that ability to be Darcy Tucker-esque, mm-hmm. be a guy who the fans just rally behind because you're playing with that physicality. You, you are showing passion. You're from Toronto and you know that understands of what that means to be from Toronto. This is a guy who understands all that. I think that'll bring the best out of his game. So upon further reflection, I think Wayne Simmons is a pretty smart buy for the Maple Leafs and, and not much risk there. Someone who can bring something pretty some some serious upside to that to that deal. Yeah, I mean, this is for sure like a, the most name brand of of any of the the moves that the Leafs have made so far. I mean, I, I had we had a very it was my mom's birthday over the weekend and we had a, a very socially distanced sort of get together in my uh, my uncle and uncle's backyard. Yeah, very socially distanced. Want to point that out. But um, you know, the number one thing that I was asked about by uh, both my grandpa and by my uncle was essentially Wayne Simmons. It wasn't you know what about T.J. Brody or what about you know, at that point, I think Janssen had been traded. So what about Janssen? No, it was, it was Wayne Simmons, man. Like, oh, I know. It's so funny, the, the connections to Toronto. Literally, my uncle was like, yeah, my chiropractor is his chiropractor. I'm like, what? Like, it, it's, it's all that. I, in terms of an on-ice perspective, I don't think that you can take Wayne Simmons' recent, like, sort, recent statistics into account right now. You can't, you can't take that production. You have to, there's so much context involved. This guy has been playing banged up like you would not believe. Like, I, I wrote, a, you know, in my winners and losers of free agency column, I was doing some digging and I had the Leafs as a winner. I was doing some digging on the actual injuries that Wayne Simmons has, has experienced. And just during 2017, 18 alone, which has really set him back because they said the doctor said it would be over a year where he'd feel normal. This guy, he tore his pelvis in training camp and he played through that, which then led to a pulled groin, which then was followed up by a fractured ankle and then finally rounded up by a torn ligament in his hand. He missed seven games all that season. He's been playing like crazy. And there was a great piece by uh, Jonas Siegel, the athletic, who, was, who interviewed Matt Nickel, who was essentially his, his trainer, 
Mm. Matt Nichols said pretty much every offseason, he's had to just build himself back up to a ground level. He's never been able, like most athletes during the offseason, yeah, there's a little bit of rehab here and there, but then they train to get better. And Wayne Simmons had to train to get his body back to a, a base level of where it was because it was so beaten down. Now, thanks to playing on the terrible Buffalo Sabres, he's, he's going to have 10 months or not, nine or 10 months of inaction and time to rebuild. And he, apparently he's in the best shape of his life. That's what his trainer. And obviously that's a narrative that everyone likes to throw around. Best shape of your life. That's what everyone's going to say. And get ready for that narrative in training camp. But this might be true with him. And at the same time, like he's, this is 1.5 million. If you want to compare, first of all, if you want to compare the, the, the Cal Clifford um, comparison, pretty much the Leafs offered him a three-year deal at one, at 1.3, 1.4 mil per year. Which and, is wild. And he wild. turned it down which is very, very bad business on their part. And also it's, very... It's asinine on both sides. Kyle Clifford should not be turning that down no in way. a pandemic world. Yes. What is it? That's three... It's almost $4 million for a guy who might be out of the league at the end of that, might be out of the <laughs> league before that, just because of the limitations and the need for cheap talent. Obviously, that is cheap, but it's a premium for a guy who plays 10 minutes a night. Exactly. And when you, and so, and also he doesn't have the, he does, like Wayne Simmons might play 10 minutes a night, but Wayne Simmons at least has the ability to, he'll get some power play time and he's the ability to slot in a pinch on a night. Let's say the team's banged up. He can play in the top six. He can play alongside Tavares for a game, or he can play alongside Matthews for a game and give them a weird dimension. He has that kind of versatility where Clifford is, you know, he's fourth line. He's not going to play power play. And if you want to compare him to, to, to um, Corey Perry too, I mean, Corey Perry season, like everyone's talking about how oh, he had a great year. He, he really rebounded. Oh, this is amazing. Dude, he had, he had 21 points in 57 games, and he cost $3.25 million against the cap. Wayne Simmons, on the other hand, had uh, – It was like, much more. It was much more than I, – I, for yeah, some well, reason, was, I had 1.75 in my head. Well, he, that, those were – it was initially $1.5 million, but then he hit all his performance bonuses, so went okay. up to that. But then but Wayne Simmons last year had 24 points in 61 games – or 25 points, sorry, in 68 games, um, yeah. split between the Devils and Buffalo. And for, for 1.5 million in the best shape of his life, life healthy. And also everyone has said the main thing that has been said about Wayne Simmons is that he's a vocal leader. He's a guy who's been there. He's been to the cup final before he will, like you said, kind of punch those guys, punch people's heads, clean off their bodies. If they, if they even touch these guys. Said much better than me. Exactly. But he's, but that's an infectious thing. And when, and, and let's say, you know, the Leafs are down in a series like they were, you won't have to have Jason Spezza fighting to try and, you know, yeah get the guys going you'll have Wayne Simmons who will have probably done that in the locker room all season long before that so I, I really like this from an attitude standpoint I like it from a value standpoint and if, if Wayne Simmons can come even close to producing what he did before and he's he's not the player he was before you know years as Bane once said in the Dark Knight Rises and again movie reference you won't know but years have cost you your strength and yes that's true that's Wayne Simmons years has cost him his strength but he's been but now he's able to build up from that baseline that those injuries robbed them of. And I think that he could be a sneaky candidate for 15 to 20 goals next year. And for 1.5 million on a team that needs those depth guys got nothing, nothing at all from their depth guys, especially down that final stretch of the season. That is so money for them. That is so key. And I, I love this signing. I love that you mentioned Spezza because he did moonlight in that game four as someone who was supposed to drag them into the fight or do that did drag them into the fight. That dragging a team into the fight is something that, Wayne Simmons does naturally, right? Yeah. That's what that's in his DNA. That's uh, his personality. And I, and I think I think uh, it is, you know, Clifford and Perry are two guys that I think come up just naturally in this conversation. But if Kyle Clifford has two di two dimensions, Wayne Simmons has eight or nine. Yeah. And with Corey Perry, 
yeah, he didn't have this great season. I don't think it's compar- – it's uh, comparing, them is not, it, comparing them is not what mm-hmm. I want to do. But what he did in the Stanley Cup final is what I think he can provide mm-hmm. on his best day. Not even on his best day. He can just provide the Maple Leafs hopefully all year round, which is just a guy who's a miserable player to play against, who can score some goals, net front on the power play, cause a disturbance. That's what they need. You did mention their depth. Their depth took a serious hit. So there is some pressure on him to contribute, certainly from that bottom six, if he indeed plays in the bottom six, because it's pretty barren now, let's be honest. Losing Kapanen and Janssen, there's not much there. So that's one thing that uh, we'll get into it when we reflect on everything, but that's one thing that I'm really concerned about for the Leafs is that a lot of replacement level players in that bottom six now, and are they going to have any impact at all on the game is something that I think they – uh, it still has to be proven. But Wayne Simmons is a major key in that. So if he can have a great season, that will also answer some questions about the depth on this team, obviously. Uh, so he's an important guy moving forward for this team. This is not a, you know, a home run swing and, and you know, boom or bust. I think this is a pretty safe play. Uh, but his upside could make it a home run. And uh, I think you at least had that baseline. The ceiling is high. The floor mm-hmm. is pretty high as well. And that's what makes this signing a good one for the Leafs. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's 1.5 million. And like I, I tweeted out kind of, and you, you responded. I'm glad you've kind of changed your mind a bit on this now because you were because I'm saying like, look, it's one point, it's, it's one year at 1.5 million. It's the lowest risk contract ever. And let's say for some reason, Wayne Simmons sh- like shows up and he just doesn't have it. Well, Wayne Simmons, who didn't have it, was able to fetch something who, and he was last year in a trade and he was also making $5 million at that point. He's making 1.5 now. I guarantee you that there's enough name brand for some team to take a swing at that. And Wayne Simmons, he's the kind of guy And you know, hypothetically, let's say we do have fans next year because this, let's say we're able to have some sort of fans. He's the kind of guy who on, you know, a Tuesday night in, I guess it would be March as the, the, the shoe in for the dog days of the season now, because we're starting in January, but on a Tuesday night in March against, I don't know, uh, not Arizona because Matthews is the ties, but Anaheim or so- someone with just no, some team with no connection is just boring, not even in the same conference. And the crowd is really kind of muted at Scotiabank. Wayne Simmons is going to be one of those guys who can pull those players out from the doldrums and he's going to try no matter what. Because every game he's going to have some fam- family or some family friends or someone in the stands he's going to want to try. And, he, and I think that, I think the players like to play here, but I think they kind of forget at some points you know, what, what kind of an honor it is to be a Toronto Maple Leaf. And Wayne Simmons is so jacked to be a Toronto Maple Leaf right now. He's a hometown guy. And I think that enthusiasm for just pulling over that, pulling on that sweater is, is going to radiate through that locker room. Because, yeah, Spezza had that a bit, but he's older and he's more looked at as like a father figure. Simmons, I think, is more than Spezza one of the guys. And everything that everyone has said is that he's, he's a consummate leader. He's one of the only non-captains to be nominated for the Mark Messier Leadership Award, however much stock you want to put into that. Um, into that award at all I'm really high on the signing it's a low risk in terms of financials in terms of the financial aspects of it but from an on ice perspective he has that versatile game he's going to be a great net front guy on maybe p on p2 pp2 maybe even pp1 if they really want to get you know jiggy with it there and I I think he he, I think he fits a lot of the team's needs for a tiny little cap hit and I think he's coming off an offseason where he's able to kind of recapture at least some of what made him special before I definitely agree. I think this is an important market for the Leafs, cornering the market on guys from Toronto, maybe a little bit advanced in their careers, that just want to play and make a difference. And, you know, we obviously we talk about what's the whole point in this is to win a Stanley Cup in Toronto. 
important that guys from Toronto want to do that. I think this is another uh, one of the most important signings in achieving that. Okay, let's go to TJ Brody, another guy from the greater Toronto area. But seven hours later, after the Simmons signing, uh, TJ Brody came over on a $20 million year deal that's across four years. Mm-hmm. Um, my biggest thing from this one is that that's not a pandemic price. That is a full price on TJ Brody for my mm-hmm. money. This is not necessarily a discount in any regard. And few players didn't have to take a discount in this free agent period. So I think that's one thing to consider. The other thing to consider is that he fits this team perfectly. Yeah. This is a player who is very defensively reliable, can prop up other good defensemen. And I think that's definitely important here. Um, But he's unspectacular. Uh, He is steady. He is exactly what they need and have probably been missing. Um, But it does leave some questions for me mm-hmm. what are because those? they're willing to put $5 million in TJ Brody. Mm-hmm. Why did they close the door so quickly on Petrangelo? They would have, you're worried about their depth now. They would have decimated their depth. Look at what, look at what Vegas is doing. They are, they, they're like, they're literally a zombie in a zombie movie right now, tearing off limbs just so they can move faster. But like here's they, what they did. They only gave up one really good player to make it happen. Nate Schmidt. And they're going to not... give up more. They're, they're, they're close. They're, they're it's, still it's, over it's the not, cap. Not too much they're going to have to do. Like, they're, they're pretty close. They get rid of one guy and they're okay. Not, not even a big price guy. They're, they're going to be fine. I think the Leafs could have been fine by giving up just one guy as well. Uh, and I, and know. I, know we're, I know we're getting back. To, I know what we're getting to here, obviously. Would they trade from the big four to get Petrangelo? No, Petrangelo? they wouldn't have done if that. If they could have. I know they wouldn't have because they said before that they're not going to do it. They're going to win with those four guys. And on one hand, that's boxing you in a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it boxes you in because a guy like Petrangelo, Carlo Coliacoba, and I know he's very connected with Petrangelo, yeah. not, not with anything else necessarily, but very connected there. And he said the pandemic is what cost the, the, the relationship or severed, not severed the relationship, prevented the relationship between the Leafs and Alex Petrangelo. So just that extra money available to them and that, the, the salary cap not being flat anymore, but rising on its normal trajectory is what prevented Petrangelo from coming to the Maple Leafs. Now, I don't know if that's hyperbole or, or whatnot, but if you were willing, like if you were, if he wanted to go to the Maple Leafs and it seems based on that, that he might have, would, you would really not make the, you would not, you would not part from one of the people in the top four, one of the players in the top four. I think we know who we're talking about here because a couple can't be moved and one's not going to be moved. Um, but you were not willing to make that deal? No, not at all. I think that I think the way that the Leafs made this, first of all, I would much rather have TJ Brody for four years of five mil per. And TJ Brody is is what? He's 30 or 28 or something. He's 30, I think. Exactly. Petrangelo is here, let me let me pull that up. I should probably Petrangelo's should 30 as well. Okay, so Petrangelo's 30. I'd much rather have TJ Brody for uh, for four years of five mil per. And have him end when he's 34 and then have to worry about, okay, do we, do we extend a guy who's 34 years old and move forward there? Then have Petrangelo at eight times eight or whatever he got for seven years and have a, and have a guy who, you know, plays a pretty bang, you know, bang and crash game. He has a lot of minutes on his body, a lot of miles on his body, and you're paying him that much money. You know, the cap is not, the cap's going to be flat for three of those years. And then we don't know how much growth it's going to have after that. You're really gonna you're really gonna worry about having you know eight point eight on your books when he's thirty seven years old. I I like what they did now because you talk about their depth and yes it's a little more depleted from a name brand perspective, 
Um, but I don't think they're really missing too much from a guy, from a guy like Kapanen or Janssen moving up because they didn't really add anything in the first place. Like, look, that's, look what happened with the Leafs when they, when they were here. You have a guy like Brody who, like you said, fits seamlessly, fits like a glove into this lineup. And he's at a reasonable price. Yes, it's not a pandemic price, but I would say it's exactly what he should be paid. It's, it's a very, you know, it, it's pretty much right on the number there. And it's not a crazy, it's not crazy term either. And then you're able to go out and get a Wayne Simmons and a Bogosian and a VC and a Travis Boyd and potentially other more pieces that are out there. Because I think they're looking for, like you said, they might look for a Joe Thornton on, on a really cheap deal. Or they're, they're, they're right out there. They have to sign a third goalie. Casimir Kaskasuo basically it, it, you know, inferred and announced on, on Twitter and Instagram and all that that they're letting him walk. So they have to get a third goalie. They have to get another depth center to kind of to add if they, unless they want to run with, um, unless they want to run with Kerfoot at center all like pretty much full time. They have, they have other pieces they need, to, they need to bring in. They have other moves they need to make. And with Petrangelo, you have him there. You have to move out you know, a, either a lot of your depth or one of your key pillars that makes your team sort of quote-unquote special. And then what happens if he gets hurt? You have nothing behind him to work with that. You have no flexibility. He has capped your team out. He has, he has made them, you know, he's made them uh, uh, carry a 20-man roster or something under the 21-player under the limit. And if you lose him, you're pretty much screwed. You've put, so, you've put all your chips on the one player. Now they're able to spread them out and still get a, get a great fit and address pretty much every need that they've needed to. I really, li- I really like the way I would have, of course, I've been on the Petrangelo to, to the Leafs train. I think he would have solved all their problems. But I think this is far less risky. And I think the Leafs aren't really in the, in the market right now after what they did last season to make these risks. They bet, they, they bet and make these, these you know, hasty bets. They, they hedge their bets on Tyson Berry being a fit right away. And it didn't work. You know, they hedged their bets on them being able to reclamate uh, or, or re, you know, have Cody CC be a successful reclamation project, and it didn't work. They had they hedged their bets on having Kerfoot come in and seamlessly be the third center, and it didn't work. And I think right now they need more. They just need more stability and certainty. And I think by getting a lot of these buy low guys and being able to spread them out throughout the lineup and address those needs, and then get still get that you know top four, maybe top two pillar at a reasonable price at a reasonable term. For a guy who wants to play here, who's excited, who's going to be either if, – if he does play with the Morgan Riley's best defense partner in his entire career, great. I think that's a great, I think that's a great way to, to, to do this instead of putting all your chips onto that one player for way too much term, you know, in the middle of, of very uncertain financial times where you might even – who knows what's going to happen. So I, th- I, think that th- I think the way that they did that and staying out of that, those sweepstakes, it worked out pretty well. I think my counter to that is that TJ Brody still cost them two thirds of their middle class anyway, right? The pandemic and TJ Brody, you needed to move out Janssen and Kapanen to make that work, to get that defenseman. Mm-hmm. Now there's only $3.8 million separating Petrangelo and Brody. Now I'll put it to you this way. I'll ask you, yeah. if you were going to rank, let's say the next three years, the impact just for a single game, We'll say Austin Matthews, John Tavares, Mitch Marner, William Nylander, Alex Petra- Petrangelo. What's the what's the impact on the game ranking with those guys over the next three seasons? Uh, I assume you're going to start with Austin Matthews being number mm-hmm. one there, which is I think potentially debatable, but I think he's that guy just because of his goal scoring ability. If he scores but 50 after goals, Matthews, he has the most impact. After Matthews, who's next? It it would be Petrangelo in that in that regard. But at the same, like look, I. What I have made the what I've I've made a deal to to ship out you know Mitch Marner or someone to get because I don't want I don't want to have to you know deplete from you know William Nylander and then plus to get Petrangelo here like I I 
I think that William Nylander fits a more vital role to the Leafs than I really do think Mitch Marner does. I think William Nylander gives Austin Matthews a pretty elite running mate who can finish and score and do a lot of things. And Mitch Marner gives them pretty much a very one-dimensional kind of skill set. Um, but at the same time, I like, I, I like what the Leafs did by being able to, to address these needs and still give themselves flexibility. And when you look at the trade, like, Yes, Janssen was more of a cap dump, and they were going to trade him and dump his cap no matter what. Even if they missed out on both of those guys, they were still going to get rid of him. They were still going to dump his money because I think that at that point, putting him in that final playoff game was more or less a, you know, you're not going to be back next year, so we want to, you know, integrate you into this as much as I don't think that was intentional. I think that played into it at some point. Um, But the way their roster right now is so much more balanced. It has so much more depth. It has so much more, so many more contingencies in it than it would if they went all in on Petrangelo. Petrangelo, like I've said on many podcasts before, he solves pretty much every least problem. You know, he saw, he, he's, he's the guy you can put out in any game situation who can munch 25 minutes a night. And that's great. But now they have, you know, two or three more guys who can munch 22 to 20 minutes and who can give you and, and who won't, you know, block those prospects from coming into the lineup, who can give, who, who just give you more and more flexibility from an entire team perspective. And as much as I hate the, the, as much as I hate the argument that the Leafs are way too top heavy, that they have all this cap dedicated to, you know, four players and blah, blah, blah. If you add Petrangelo into that, at the end of the day, you're now committing like 60% of your cap to five players. And at, at that at that point, that is a little too top heavy and you need to, you need to get some depth. And I think that, you know, get the way that they were able to ship out Kapanen. When you look at the deals that are being made around the league now, that's a King's ransom. I don't know how the hell they got him for, they, they were able to ship him out for, for the price that they were able to, to get him, uh, get back from Pittsburgh. And yes, Yachts was a, was a captain, but Joey Anderson from everything that we've heard, he's, you know, he's, he's a, he's a relatively, He's got some promise. He's not, this is not a, you know, trade Matt Martin for Eamon McAdam and, and he plays in your ECHL for the, for the entire year. This is a guy. So they have options. And Petrangelo, he'll be a great Vegas Golden Knight for three or four years, and then he'll decline. That's the way that these things work. And I'd rather, I'd rather be cutting bait by the time that that guy declines, like you do with, with, with TJ Brody, than I would then have three extra years with him under the cap. And we don't even know how much it's going to grow. I think that the way the Leafs were, did business, look, it's not perfect. And again, I would have loved to have Alex Petrangelo on this team. I think he makes everything better. But with the limitations that they had, it, with the cards that they were dealt, I, re, I like the way that they did this. And I like how they stayed away from that. And now they, now they have themselves set up for if some of these risks fail, they at least have contingency plans for them. See, I think the depth is already just completely killed. See, that, that, that's, that's why, well, they took away, I mean, they traded Casper Kapanen and Andreas Johnson, who were really the only they were really That's, the only. And what did they pieces. give you last year? What did they? What did those Kapanen and Janssen both had terrible seasons last what, year? What I'm, what I'm saying is, in the first place. What I'm saying is they're, they are just, they are just crossing their fingers and hoping that their bottom six works out. There is not really anything. This is what this is what I'm getting at, is, you bring in Petrangelo and you you had to make those moves anyway. So you cut all the costs from the middle six. You probably have to get rid of Alex Griffith, which I don't think is a big deal. I think you just do that because. I think you could probably go on the market and get Lucas Walmart for $900,000 and he might be able to do the exact same thing. Uh, right now they are depending on all those lottery tickets on the bottom six anyway. So why not go fully into it with the guy who can change the complexion of your team entirely, be probably the most valuable player per dollar on your team. If he comes in at a pandemic price. And I think the biggest thing with the Maple Leafs and it's proven with the Janssen and Kapanen moves is that 
they haven't signed bad contracts. And Petrangelo wouldn't have been a bad contract because he wouldn't have been getting paid, you know, the nine or $10 million he would have made this year if there wasn't COVID-19. I think the only guys that are seriously overpaid are Mitch Marner and uh, not even overpaid. They're, they just got the, uh, they got basically the maximum earning potential al- allowed from Matthews and Marner. They, they got exactly what they could. They wouldn't have got that this summer. And that's another uh, conversation into itself. But there would have been no problem trading Mitch Marner. There would be no problem trading William Nylander if you had to get to the point where you had to do that. And I believe that Alex Petrangelo would be more valuable to the Maple Leafs game over game than both those two players. Now, obviously, they're not going to make that decision because they said they were not going to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think they, they ultimately ended up with a pretty solid decision and a, and a player in TJ Brody who fixes a lot of what uh, they need. But with it being only 3.8, with him wanting to be a Maple Leaf, apparently. Uh, he didn't really want I might to. Have, well, he, uh, Car- Carlo Coliaco said that today, that, he wa- that the only thing that kept it was the fact that the Leafs didn't have more money. And I guess that, that the difference was that, you know, two or $3 million, I would have just made, I would have stomached it and found a way to do it. You get rid of Kerfoot, you bring in, you bring in eight guys at, you know, $900,000 VC-like, and you've got some competition, and then you can figure out how to make your team better after that. I think they killed their depth just to get Brody when the possibility was out there to get Petrangelo, and that's why I probably would have done things differently. Um, but again, they've got a guy in Brody who I've, I've had two people tell me that he propped up Mark Giordano in yeah. his recent playoffs, which is pretty impressive. I mean, we're talking about one, a Norris Trophy winner two years ago. Yeah. And he's the one who was propping him up. I think that's a good thing. I think he can play with either Jake Muzzin or Morgan Riley, and that's a good thing. You can find something that works the best uh, position for him in the lineup because he can play anywhere on that right side. Uh, I do think they did pretty well here, but I, I cannot shake the fact that Petrang- the, the relationship with Petrangelo could have been there, and they were just, you know, a couple million dollars short. You talk about the Leafs killing their depth. First of all, they would have, you're like right now, they're sitting in a position where they can ice a lineup and they still have guys like Kerfoot and they have these got these VC like guys already. Yeah, but, but yeah, but as having, would you rather have Brody and Kerfoot or Petrangelo? Brody and Kerfoot. I, I, I would, I think Kerfoot's a, if there's one bad contract that the Leafs have, it's Alex Kerfoot. He is I, not but, worth the 3.5 million. But you're talking about, you're talking about them killing their depth. First of all, I think that Janssen and Kapanen are grossly overrated if we're talking about depth players here. Their name, if we want to talk about name brands, they're name brands. They're both better than Alex Kerfoot. What? No, definitely not Janssen. Like Kerfoot, his ability to play center instantly makes him more valuable to the Toronto Maple Leafs than both of them. Casper and should Kapanen, have made them more, and should made him more valuable in the trade market. I think they can upgrade that three C for a cheaper price. I think they could have done that this offseason. Yeah, by signing by signing Kyle Turris, who I'm I'm worried I'm sad that they missed out on because I think that would have there been you a, go. that would have been a perfect signing. So that's a million dollars there. We're only two million away from getting Petrangelo. At the same time, though. They were able. They were able to get a king's ransom for Kapanen, and they have they have flexibility now. There are there are good there are good centers still left out there on cheap deals you can go get. They probably will go get. They're exactly. uh, they're probably gonna have to have more trades. But if you if you sign Petrangelo to this, you're locking yourself into a to a contract that a depletes all of your depth completely, and b and like we're talking about hypotheticals here, Kerf, or, um, Turris already signed. Like he like he's gone. 
And who, there's, who, other, and, there's other guys out there, but, but not, not I mean, replic- this all happened at the same time, right? Yeah, but not at a replica. At the same time, not at a replica pace. Like I, I, I just think that yeah. Look, Alex Petrangelo getting him is a. It's it. It would have been it would have been option A. Like it would have been great to to have him. I'm not debating you on that. I think Alex Petrangelo would have been a great lead. He would have he would have probably helped them win a Stanley Cup in the next three years before he fell off. But being able to get T.J. Brody, Wayne Simmons, Zach Bogosian, Jimmy Vc, and then still have flexibility to get other other players they addressed pretty much all the needs that they that they needed to to get they're a markedly better team than they are right now they're a markedly better team than they were when they got booted off the ice in their own arena in front of zero fans when they didn't even make the playoffs and yeah Alex Petrangelo would have been great but that now they have depth and flexibility that they wouldn't have had if they if they had signed him and locked themselves into another huge contract because I guarantee you if the Leafs underperformed or if he got injured or if he even if he even put up 45 points or 50 points instead of 59 that he did last year, we would be having the same conversations that we're having now that are asinine, by the way, about John Tavares. We would have had, oh, was it worth it for the Leafs to go out and get Petrangelo? Oh, Petrangelo's not being paid X amount of dollars to be the you know, defensive guy. He's got to, you know, it would have been crazy. Now you have a perfect seamless fit who clearly wants to play for the Leafs, who the Leafs have been targeting for years. They finally got him, and that's a de- at a decent rate. And then you have all these other guys on cheap deals who can slot in and fill these needs. And if they work, great. If they don't, there are contingency plans there that wouldn't have been there if Alex Petrangelo was there. So it, it Petrangelo will always be your option A, but I'd much rather the Vegas Golden Knights have to deal with that cap crunch than the Leafs do because the Leafs already addressed the needs that, that Kerfoot would have provided. And they have they have much a much more balanced roster, and I think they're able to – I don't know. I think I just think they're. I, I think they're able to to ice a more balanced lineup. They would have would have with Kerfoot. It would have been remarkably top top heavy, and they would have had no bottom six. Kyle Dubas uh, promising that they would win with their four top forwards mm-hmm. prevent them from getting Petrangelo. Probably. I think the, the I, I think I think the pandemic more than anything prevented them from getting Petrangelo. Well, that's yeah. that's apparently right out of the horse's mouth. Like it's. I'm also I'm I also am wary to to believe too much of that. Like he's it's a Toronto media guy in a Toronto media market, you know, talking about that. Like I, you know, at the end of the day, we'll I believe see. he was in Petrangelo's wedding party. I'm, but so he he knows him. Like these yeah, are. Yeah, but but every every one of Petrangelo's cousins or buddies from middle school or something said he was definitely coming to the Leafs, and he didn't. Like it's. I think if he really, I think if he really wanted to, if he really wanted to come to the Leafs, he would have done a Taylor Hall thing, and he didn't. He chose the long-term stability with the with and and that's fine. I think the Leafs are I think the Leafs are good without him as they are constructed right now, and I think the Leafs would have been good with him too. But I like the flexibility that a Brody and others gives them, opposed to just Petrangelo and then hoping that you can you can hit a home run in a depth roll on hoping that you can sign you know five Justin Halls to and and have three of them hit. I just don't think the the only consideration because I don't think the flexibility really is changed all that much. But the only thing that would have been more difficult, I think, if they got Petro, would have been signing Morgan Riley to his next deal because mm-hmm. all of a sudden that bar raises and you have to meet him at a certain percentage of that, and that might have been a bit of a nightmare for them. But I don't think the flexibility really changes because ultimately if you just keep going out and getting great players at good contracts, you're going to be able to move them. I think they proved that with Kapan and Janssen. Those are not even great contracts. They were still able to move them. They don't have bad contracts and they probably would have signed another deal with, they signed Petro. It would have been a good contract because 
it, there's so many deals that have been signed in the last three years that are going to look really bad moving forward as the salary cap does not increase. So they could have got Petro at a good price. I think Vegas got Petro at a really good price. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, I, I just wonder if, the, if how things could have turned out a little bit differently if they didn't box themselves in. Okay, you mentioned that uh, they are a better team right now than they were. Are they a better regular season team? Are they a better playoff team? What does Brody do other than the obvious and the, the associated moves? Moving out those forwards, Brody coming in, what makes them so much better? They're just, like I said, they're more balanced. Like, they, they have these players. Okay, what makes them better is that if you have Jake Muzzin go down, Martin Marinson's not even sniffing the ice. My, I, I tweeted about this right after um, Zach Bogosian uh, signed, but I'm like, the best part about Zach Bogosian, the best thing about Zach Bogosian is he's reportedly not Cody Cece, you know? And he, I guarantee he could give pretty much the exact same metrics, the exact same, you know, results that Cody Cece did at one, at a quarter of the price, less than a quarter of the price. Oh, he's better than Cody Cece. He's better than Cody Cece, and he's signed for one year, one million. He doesn't, he doesn't make you audibly laugh once, once again. Yeah. He doesn't, there isn't a gifable moment where that could show up on, you know, sports bloopers or America's Funniest Home Videos, you know, every, every single game. Um, but I think that they have, they've, they've added guys who are going to whip that locker room into shape. I know that everyone talks about, oh, you need to build a culture and that becomes an antiquated narrative at a certain point, but they do. Like this was a team that got way too comfortable. This is a team that doesn't, that didn't know how to win. None of the guys on that team other than Jake Muzzin knew how to win. And we saw that Jake Muzzin was the guy desperately trying to be like, hey, get, get your shit together. And he kept trying to say that, and I don't think anyone was really listening. Now they have a guy like TJ Brody, who he hasn't really experienced any success, but he's solid, he's good, he, he's known how to play next to excellence, and he adds a very solid sort of dimension to the back end. You have a guy like Wayne Simmons, who's a vocal leader, who, you know, he's being nominated for leadership awards, however much stock you want to put into those. But he's overcome things. He's a hometown guy. He has, he's a crazy hard worker, and he's, he plays that tough game that I think, well, you know how, you know how when, when Kyle Clifford signs, ca, ca, signed Casper, or got traded here? Casper Kapanen started fighting people. I think Wayne Simmons is going to be a lot more, you know, uh, uh, infectious around that lineup. Poor choice of words in these days. I get it. But more in fact, that, that sort of attitude is going to be a lot more infectious around that lineup. Zach Bogosian, he just won a cup. He's also being at, he's also being at the, at the peak of hockey in terms of, you know, uh, the roller coaster ride. He's been at the absolute bottom of it. He's been a top three pick who had all this promise. And he also got his contract terminated by the team he was playing for last year. And then he won a cup. He knows how to bounce back. He knows how to go through adversity. And really, when you really think about it, what adversity have these guys gone through? What adversity has Matthews gone through? What adversity has, has Marner gone through? They got, they've been paid from day one. They've been coddled from day one. And yes, they've lost, but no one other than this year with Marner, no one's really put the blame on them. They haven't really felt the heat. They've gotten every, every kind of coaching decision, every systemic decision gone their way. Now, you have, now they're not going to get that anymore, but you're going to have guys who are able to adapt to that I also think that a lot of the depth guys, like they've moved out excess fat. They were able to get, they were able, they were able to really maximize the return for Casper Kapanen, who I'm going to put down the bet right now that Wayne Simmons will score more goals this season than Casper Kapanen did last season. Casper Kapanen had 13 goals last season. I bet oh, Wayne Simmons. Last season, okay. I bet Wayne Simmons tops that because Kapanen's going to get a chance to play with you know Crosby and Malcolm or whatever. But I bet if you're ta- if you're comparing value, I bet he's going to outscore him last year. Who even knows if, if, if Travis Boyd sniffs the lineup? I doubt he will. But you, Jimmy VC could be a great – all of these contracts are variable, but they didn't really sacrifice too much depth. They, clear, they cut a lot of fat. Janssen and Kapanen, in terms of a point per dollar, 
weren't, weren't uh, they just weren't able to, they were the luxuries of the Leafs weren't able to afford and honestly shouldn't, shouldn't have wanted to pay in the first place. So you, you were able to maximize that value and you have a much more solid roster that, ha- that has some, you know, you can be tinkering with pieces here, but they've addressed a lot of needs. They have that, they have that leadership, they have the balanced defense and they have the physicality. They've addressed those, those three things that really held them back. And I think that right now in the playoffs, when you're going at when you're going into a physical war with the team like we saw with Tampa, Leafs are much more prepared now than they were before. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I agree with that. I agree that they're they're much more equipped to play in the playoffs now, and I think a, a lot of that has to do with what they kept doing on the back end, and we'll get to that. And I definitely invited you, you to you know go across the board by asking you if they're why there's so much of a better team, but I do want to get to those guys okay. uh, as well. But I'm not convinced right now that they're a better team than they were last year. Really? I, I just, I'm looking at that, the bottom six and Dude, I don't Martin know Grinch how. Martin in the lineup. In I don't know game. how. I'm just, what I'm saying is I don't know how that bottom six is going to be impactful. I'm, I'm really having trouble seeing it right now. Uh, obviously there's a lot of lottery tickets there and they're going to have to work out, but I, I really do fear that there's a real replacement level vibe to that bottom six. And I don't know how they're going to have their stamp on the game. Now that might not matter because, you know, I think TJ Brody solidifying the defense is so much more important, especially when you have all these brilliant players at the top of your lineup to lean on for all those offensive minutes. Uh, so I do believe that they're better equipped to compete in the postseason just because of how they're, uh, how they're uh, organized right now. Um, but I have concerns right now with the bottom six. Uh, let's go into I guess we can – I don't really want to touch on Travis Boyd because I'm not sure exactly what he brings. Uh, he's a guy they can bury. He's a guy that maybe can uh, share some minutes with Jason Spets at 4C. Uh, he's got good underlying numbers. We'll see what happens there. But I think the bigger news or the bigger next acquisition uh, would be Zach Bogosian. Mm-hmm. This is probably my favorite acquisition that they've yeah. made so far. Me Just too. because, you know, he's a guy that we talked about a lot at the trade deadline last year because there was rumblings about him potentially having interest in the Leafs or, or what have you. And maybe they just moved on from that potential partnership at the time, because I believe Bogosian had the chance to go wherever he wanted and, and ended up going with Tampa Bay, ended up playing major minutes with Victor Hedman, over 150 even strength minutes with mm-hmm. Victor Hedman. I think that's uh, that I, he just for that alone, our conversations about Bogosian really made me watch him a lot yeah. uh, during the, uh, during the postseason played with Hedman for the most of the time that the, the, that they played in Toronto. And that's when I was there and watching him very closely. Uh, and I was really impressed with what he did. Just a very steadying presence out there and allowed Victor Hedman to just do whatever Victor, Victor Hedman wanted to do. Like there was, I think that is maybe the biggest thing 
is that Victor Hedman didn't have to worry about what was happening on the defensive end. He was just free to be 100% himself. And I think if you have Morgan Riley at 100% himself, it would be huge for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Now, I don't think he's going to play on that top pairing no. all the time. And, and we obviously saw Bogosian, you know, play with a lot of different partners and Hedman play with a lot of different partners. But I think a combination they can realistically go to and have success with is having Riley play with Bogosian at times, just based off what I saw with Hedman. Now, Riley is not Hedman, but Riley has had a lot of success. Now, yeah, I got to put that in the proper context. Riley hasn't had anyone to play with ever. At all. But his, his best successes have come with a guy like Ron Hainsey, I'd argue, who just allowed Morgan Riley to be Morgan Riley. And I think there's some similarities there between Bogosian and what Hainsey can provide. So I think that's something they can go to. I think that's invaluable insurance as a seventh defenseman, the right shot guy that can move up and down that right side. And again, you'll never see Martin Marincin again because Zach Bogosian's yeah. on this team. I think that in itself is worth the million, the million dollars he's going to earn. But I think in terms of value and what he – we saw nine defensemen for the Tampa Bay Lightning play important minutes during that cup run. You cannot go in with six, and then, more, and then Jake Muzzin gets hurt in the second game, and you have no one to turn to. It was so important that they not just improve their, their top six, but get depth into their blue line. I think they achieved that with Zach Bogosian, and that's why I think it's their best move. Would you rather have a Leafs defense core, like a Leafs top six, with – uh, TJ Brody and uh, Zach Bogosian or a Leafs top six with Tyson Berry and Cody Ceci? Uh, the former. Yeah, then the Leafs are a better team than they were before right now. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. Yeah, because they, they, were able to, they were able to essentially replace those guys with, with players that fit much better at a, low, at a cumulative lower cap hit than both of them. Like Tyson Berry and, and those two, they, they came in at, what was it, like, seven million dollars and these guys are going to come in at six and they're going to yeah. be able to outperform yeah it's, it's going to be slightly cheaper i think it's uh if my math is correct it's 6.25 between them yeah and this is this is so much better than that i'd say so um, it's six billion and it's and it's a far superior duo i believe yes it's a far superior duo um yeah i'm a big fan look i know okay i i, I had to hold off on this but i be at the time but i know that that the leafs had an offer on the table for bogosian at the trade deadline last year for league men they were going to bring him in for Leagueman, and Bogosian wanted to come. But the reason he went to Tampa is because Tampa offered him a prorated $1.3 million. Bogosian, it's like, at the time I was told, you know, the league, they have heavy mutual interest, but hold off just in case he gets more money, and he did. And that's where he went, and he won a cup, and that's great. But Bogosian wants to play for the Leafs. He's wanted to play for the Leafs for a while, um, and, he, and this is not going to be a 7th B. A lot of people are saying, oh, well, I'd be fine with if, you know, if Bogosian, uh, uh, you know, he, he might – Worst case is a 17. No, this guy's going to be playing. Like, he's a good penalty killer, and he definitely had offers on the table more than one year, one million. And he took that to be with the Leafs, to be on this team. And I think he gives them pretty much everything they need. Like, it's – he's not going to be – you know, I don't think he's going to push the needle in one way or the other. But that's exactly what they need on their back end. Because I'm so, I'm so tired of watching this team play with guys who push the needle in the wrong direction. And that's essentially what they have a lot of the time. And like I said, any, any sign the Leafs make – that, that saves them from themselves, that, that saves them from the, the possibility of Martin Marincin playing meaningful minutes for this team in a playoff game, that is a good signing. And <laughs> Zach Bogosian is better than Cody Ceci. And the thing is as well is that let's say, let's say hypothetically he, I don't know, he, he produces at the same point as Cody Ceci and I guess his underlying numbers are just as bad as Cody Ceci's were. At least, at the very least, Zach Bogosian will hit someone. At the very least, Zach Bogosian will 
will, like Wayne Simmons, punch someone's head clean off. At least he will, at least if someone snows Frederick Anderson, Zach Bogosian will tackle that person. At least he will set some sort of tone because Cody Ceci, for all of his faults as, as a product, as from a production standpoint, that guy, what did nothing. He was, he was Frederick Gauthier with, as a defenseman. He was big for nothing. At least Zach Bogosian is big for something. And I think mm-hmm. that he still has it. I think that him winning a cup and being through those ups and downs, like I said um, before uh, on that hockey pyramid will really reflect well on a lot of these guys and kudos to him, man. Like I, 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 he wants to play here. And I think what the Leafs are doing is they're signing these guys who want to play here, who fit these needs, but they also really, they, they have an understanding and a value of what it's like to be a Toronto Maple Leaf. And I think that that was kind of lost at certain points last year. I think it became pretty hard to be a Toronto Maple Leaf when you're bringing in these guys who turned down more money from other teams, at least, at least Montreal got an interview with Wayne Simmons. They couldn't say that with John Tavares, so good for them. But they turned down other, other money to come and play for this team because they want to play for the team. And it kind of reminds them that how lucky they are to be in this position. I, I, I really like it. I think if he plays 50 games, he's not married to one pairing. I think, I think he provides so much value. And I, I think there's a world of possibilities with pretty much every left-handed defenseman like, I, I love the sounds of him and Sandine rolling out bottom pairing minutes. Oh, yeah. I, I kind of like what him and Muzzin could do as a punishing second pair who can, who can match up against the uh, – maybe not the – well, yeah, they'd have – I mean, if they're yeah. – Muzzin's playing against the, against the best opposition, so they'd have to. Maybe that doesn't sound as good. But, no, I, but think, I... I think he could play anywhere on the right side. I think they could dress mm-hmm. 7D and he could do some penalty killing. I think he just gives them a lot of flexibility – he can be the guy who just fills in when things aren't going right. When Travis Dermott, who might be going to the right side, needs to watch from the press box for a couple nights, he can watch, watch Zach Bogosian, and you're going to learn a lot about what the Maple Leafs want to see from the defense core. I think this is, I think this is the perfect addition for them in terms of what they need uh, from a depth role on the right side of the defense I, core. I really like the idea. Of, even if you're looking at it from the perspective of, like, first of all, Lettinen, we're, we're ignoring, like, Nico Lettinen is... And he's a, playing, too. Well, let, we, uh, we, we'll, we'll get, get into that, the... but, but real quick, like, I really like the idea because he's going to be in the top six role. He's the best defenseman in the KHL. He's not, he's not a tweener. He's not Igor Ojeganov. He's, he's a star, and he's going he's gonna to play in this – like, not, he's a star in the KHL. I'm not saying he's an NHL star, but he's going to no, no, be no, a right... – No, no, I, I have, I have a lot of confidence yeah. in him as well. I just don't know where he fits, and that's why but I think it's if – he, If he goes on that third pairing, let's say that third pairing is, is Lettinen in the hall or something. I love the idea of having – Riley having Riley Brody as your top pair then having Bogosian and Muzzin as just you just allow them to get smacked with the toughest defensive assignments and just you're able to sort of bury them and then then, then that allows the mobile third pair of one of you know Lettinen and Dermott or Lettinen and Hall just run wild like be able to be able to play against lesser competition and actually push the play and be offensive because you have you have two guys who have proven that they can handle these tough matchups, and who can kind of just get put through the ringer from a usage perspective in in Bogosian and Muzzin, and that opens up so much more for for these bottom of the lineup guys to just be free to be able to show to be able to play the roles that they kind of they're more comfortable in. I think I think Bogosian he's not he's not a game changer, but I think his presence and his ability his kind of a, his ability to be slotted anywhere, like you said, really opens up a world of possibilities for Sheldon Keefe to really get in the lab. And, and come up with some really cool combinations that could really impact and allow the Leafs to, to kind of allow them to be a buffer. To that, that 
allow that pairing to be a buffer and kind of let their guys sing, let them do what, what they're, you know, born to do. The numbers won't be great for Bogosian. I don't think anywhere no. he goes, but this is a guy who's played for terrible teams recently and everyone jumping and saying he's a terrible defenseman based on his underlying no. numbers. I mean, I don't, I just don't think that's fair. I mean, if you're going to take what he did for Buffalo, you've got to counter that with what he did for Tampa. And if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs, or if you're the fan of the Toronto Maple Leafs, who do you think your team is closer to? The Buffalo Sabres or the Tampa Bay Lightning? Defensemen mm-hmm. of Bogosian's caliber are going to be most affected by, you know, the, the their underlining data is going to be most affected by their surroundings more than anyone, I believe, mm-hmm. because he's got to take defensive zone starts and he's got to play with a poor defensive partner and his team's not going to be able to sustain any offensive zone time. Like he's going to get caved in or his numbers are going to look as though he's been caved in playing for a terrible team. And that's what the Buffalo Sabres are. I think we saw what he could provide to a really good team with, with the Tampa Bay Lightning. I think he can do that same thing for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Hey, maybe the numbers are never pretty, but I definitely think they can get you some utility from him. Now, where he slots in is uh, the main discussion point now, mm-hmm. because I mentioned depth being so crucial, but the Tampa Bay Lightning had this uh, maybe, maybe unique buy. I don't know if unique is the right word, but a buy-in from veterans that you might not get elsewhere. And they're not, the Leafs aren't in the same position as the Lightning. I mean, Miko Lettinen's not coming over to not play. He's playing. Dermot, ne- Dermot needs to play if he's going to grow into anything. Justin Hall, yeah, he can sit on the bench, but he he's also makes $2 million, and that's too much. Mm-hmm. That's too much for a guy who's not going to play. So what are, what are the Leafs going to do here? Obviously, Jake Muzz and TJ Brody, Morgan Riley are playing. We think Bogosian's going to play. Uh, he doesn't necessarily have to play every game, but he's going to slot in probably on opening night. Where are you going to get minutes for Rasmus Sandin, Hall, and Dermot, right. as you mentioned? Where are they going to fit in? Is there another trade in the works? Nico Lettinen, we mentioned, is going to play. Um, does this mean Hall or Dermot or both has to be moved out? I don't think it means they have to. I just think it drastically increases the likelihood that they will. Um, and when you look at it, like I tweeted today, I wouldn't trade Justin Hall because he's kind of everything that the Leafs would be looking for. Like he's a guy who can play in the second or third pairing role, penalty kill, right shot, good puck mover, defensive respons- like defensively responsible. Um, and $2 million isn't a crazy amount of money to pay for that. Um, but it really, you're kind of betting on, it, it, it's, it's a bet on whether or not Dermot will ever surpass Hall in the future because he's not, because he had a nightmare season last year. And we need to, you know, and the Leafs have to be confident that Dermot can one day be a better player than Hall, kind of in the same, kind of in, in that same timeline, who will be making a lot less. Because Dermot, if he goes to arbitration, he's not getting a lot of money. Neither is Mikheyev. Um, I don't know. Like, this is, what I like, though, is that the Leafs have options here. Like, they, like they, I'd much rather, I'd much rather have more. I always say this whenever someone's bringing food over to my place or something. I'm like, you know, like, oh, do you think this will be enough? I'm like, I'd rather have more food than, I, than have not enough. And the Leafs, I'd rather have more capable defensemen than spots available than be scrambling and having to put, you know, Martin Marinch in. Because, look, if Martin Marinch got, got hurt after Jake Muzzin got hurt, yeah, but you might put Rasmus Sandin in there. And then after him, it was like Mac Hollowell. And that was it. Like, in, in terms of who, who you can actually put in the, in the NHL lineup. So that's, that's pretty dire. Now, you can have three guys get hurt and really not, not miss a beat. And, and we're not even talking about a guy like Timothy Lilligren, who should be chomping at the bit too, who also Lawrence Gilman said, is it, we're expecting him to be in the NHL next year. So remember that in the middle of the season? That happened. Things um, change, but yeah. Exactly. But 
that was that was a conversation that happened in Lilligren. People forget he had a really good season in the AHL last year. I think a lot of this depends on whether or not there's going to be an AHL at all next year. Mm-hmm. I think it, it, if there is, then definitely for sure Sandine and, and Lilligren start there. But I think that I, I, I would be shocked if, um, if, one, if, if both of Hall and Dermott are on this roster heading into the regular season. Because they just, if you want to upgrade, if you want to get another center, if you want to get that third goalie, the money's going to have to come from somewhere. And it seems most likely that it's going to come from one of those two. What makes me real uncomfortable is the suggestion that Travis Dermott, who hasn't developed into the left shot defenseman that you believed he, he should be at this point, can just make the transition to the right side and all he's, will be. Okay, all will be. He's played the right side more than he's played the left in his development. No, he played, the Leafs. He played the, right, he played the right side in minor hockey his entire time. And then he also played the right I – I covered him on the Marlies. I saw this. Okay, he in the Marlies, the right but with side. the Leafs, right? Like, yeah. I, I just I'm, – uh, I'm a little – But he's used to it. He, it's not a weird transition. Like, he's, like he, it's not like you're turning – it's not turning Pierre Engvall into a center in the middle of the season like they did. What I'm saying is the, you're changing the game he's having trouble adapting to on him on the fly mm-hmm. and just expecting him to grow into a top four – I think the top four role is ambitious right now. For, for Travis he Dermott, might be more but expecting him right to do side. it on the right side, I, I just don't know. And that's why I love the Bogosian signing, but that's why I also think Travis Dermott being the key piece in a trade that either brings back that right shot defenseman that just knocks everybody in line. And we've been talking about Mackenzie Vieger a lot, and I don't yeah. know if that's still an But like he's a right shot who plays on the left. Weird. Isn't he a left shot that plays on the right? No, he's he's a he's a right shot who plays on the left. He's the inverse of what the Leafs need right now. Okay, my my brain is completely. I know. Now. But but again, it, it it just feels like if you could parlay two pieces into one piece, even though I'm just like I'm contradicting myself because mm-hmm. I just talked about how important the depth is. I think the depth <laughs> is there. I think Rasmus Sandy and Miko Letton, and I think the depth's there, especially if you keep Paul around as that insurance policy, an expensive insurance policy, but it's an insurance policy nonetheless. Mm-hmm. If he can be that guy. Who, who is that return is the key piece in sending out and bringing in another key guy. I think I would probably move on that. Um, but right now I'm finding it hard to believe if you keep Dermot that Hall can stick around at two mil. I, d- I just don't know if, I don't know if the money works that way. But are you if getting, he has a spot in the lineup. I just don't know if he has a spot in the lineup anymore. But are you getting someone of consequence for one of those guys? Because we just saw, I, know I think that- I think I think you could get someone for, of consequence in a Dermot package. Hall is basic; it would be a throw-in on anything. It, it's a cap dump. It's it's definitely a cap dump. Even though he's a serviceable guy, I think it's a cap dump just because of what he gets paid. Yeah, I mean, there there are a lot of questions, but at the same time, like I always think back, and a lot of people do this too, to the Vancouver Canucks during their run, where they had to, they had to play. I think it was like nine or ten. I think it was you know it was even more than that. I think it was like thirteen defensemen they they played at one point in, in their, in their run to the Stanley cup final against Boston. And like the Leafs, at least if you have options in there, that's important. Like if you're able, a lot of the, like Dermot worst case scenario, what he's going to get, it's probably going to be variable. Like, and yeah, you don't, you don't want to send him down, but if you, if you have to, you do, you know, mm-hmm. Sandine, he's Can you bury? He'll get over a mill. You think you'll get over a mill? Dermot? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, you can you can bury you can bury Bogosian if you really want to. You can bury you can bury Lettinen if you really if he doesn't work out. You can bury you can bury a lot of these guys, and yeah. you know the the variable. I think it's one point zero four million. Like it's more than you think, and you can bury these guys for no for for like the least other than Simmons and um, other than Simmons and Brody. Everyone they brought in is below the variable threshold, so it, there's really no risk in that. Um, I think you I think you wait. 
until because you can go over the cap by ten percent. So I think the Leafs should go out and si- and sign the you know the third goalie and maybe the the third center that they want. And then you wait till training camp. You see what happens here because then teams get desperate and they want to be jostling around. I think that I think you know the trade market's a lot more active then because right now no one's got any room and everyone's thinking everyone thinks that they have their team kind of set up for the way it is now. And I think you kind of capitalize on that, you know, end of training camp right before waivers start, right before, you know, right before the season starts scramble and you try and find fits there. Okay. Let's move to the last, uh, I would say major signing. Any signing for the Leafs is pretty major. Mm -hmm. Um, It's Jimmy VC on a one-year deal worth 900,000, obviously below the variable variable threshold. You can't really knock this edition. Uh, It's a guy. This is what this is actually the market actually caters to the Maple Leafs in a lot of ways right now because of the fact that um, there's a lot of the guys that they're willing to spend money on that other teams might not be. You know, you're spending $900,000 on a guy who's going to play in the minor leagues. That's something the Leafs are willing to do. And that's something that many teams aren't willing to do. So you can pick up a lot of these lottery tickets and hope that some pan out and then hope that some are just happy with playing for the Toronto Marlies. Um, but Jimmy VC is a guy who just the way it's all shaking down might have a chance to, you know, have an impact on this team. Obviously he played with Alex Kerfoot at Harvard. Uh, and really there's, there are spots open in the bottom six. I'm not sure mm-hmm. he helps them fulfill their goal of being a harder team to play against. I don't know if he has much utility in the bottom six. I'm not really confident that he's going to give you much there. And that's why I worry about the third line. I don't know how effective Kerfoot VC and a Simmons or a McKayev is going to be as a line. I, I'm, I'm a little concerned about the Maple Leafs having mismatches that they used to be able to create now working against them uh, with their third line being on the ice. Um, But this is, you can't knock this move because it could work out really well. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't cost you anything. Before we get started, I would like, I would like to read a passage um, from the book of Leafs lunch on on, uh, November 29th, 2016. Darren Dreger uh, reportedly said, had Toronto landed Jimmy VC, I would think Nylander would probably be gone by now. So that worked out great. What year was that? This was um, in the year of our Lord, 2016. 2016. Yeah. And now they have both. So that's great. Oh, um, but it's, I, it's a coup. It's a coup. Exactly. Uh, in terms of actually, like in terms of just raw statistics, I don't know how much they really want to play in there because everyone's got to point to, you know, expect the goals and stuff at this point. Um, but VC performed okay as a Ranger. Like, he, you know, he's, he, was, he was always around the 16, 17 goal mark, you know, around 30 points or so, 20, you know, 28, 30 points, 35 points. And then he went to Buffalo. And I don't know how much, I don't know how much we can take into account anything that happened on Buff, in Buffalo. They, that is such a moribund franchise that no one but Jack Eichel can survive there. Like, like Ryan O'Reilly said that the Buffalo Sabres robbed him of his joy of the game. And then the next year after he got traded, he won a Stanley Cup and, and won a Consmite. Like it's uh, Jimmy VC last year. Yeah, he only had nine goals, but he's, he usually, he played in Buffalo with some terrible, he was able, first of all, he was able to be a plus 12. I know how much that, that is not a great stat, but he's going to be a plus 12 on Buffalo, which is not mm-hmm. bad. But also he shot below his shooting. He's, he's a career, you know, 12.3% or he's a, he's a career 11.8% shooting percentage and he shot 9.7 last year. He played uh, the second lowest ice time yet he's ever played. Um, and he was still able to, you know, 20 points, 64 games. It's a bearable thing. Maybe he, maybe he gives you, you know, 10 to 12 goals on a fourth line or third line. And that's, that's great. That that's, I think that's all you can really ask for here. But it, again, like it's, it's like Wayne Simmons. I don't know how much we can take into account 
his results on a team like Buffalo that was a terrible and B had probably the worst culture just in terms of, 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 you know, locker room and, and, and desire to improve of any team in the league. So his possession numbers are a little rough um, in most of the years he's played. Uh, and, you know, I, I just, he also just has terrible PDO too. Like I, I, I really don't know how much to take into account with this. I just think, I just think it's a fine flyer to take on a guy. They clearly wanted him when he was coming out of, out of uh, college. He clearly has, has familiarity with a guy like Kerfoot who helped make him that sought after prospect like that he was. And at the end of the day, if he works out great, if he doesn't, you can bury him in, in you know, in the AHL and, and wash your hands up. Exactly. Yeah. I think any analytic, uh, for a player that plays for the Buffalo Sabres, you got to step back and, and, and not take it as gospel because it's a bad situation all around, terrible situation. Um, but you're right. I, I, a no risk move, but my concern again is that the sting out of this bottom six was really taken away. Now that, that transitions us to Jan, the Janssen trade. And mm-hmm. I think a guy who can be potentially a saving grace or help being a saving grace for that, uh, bottom six is Joey Anderson. Now, I obviously didn't know much about Joey Anderson coming into this, you know, off season. Uh, but I know the Maple Leafs turned down potential trades involving draft picks because they wanted the player. So I think that means that Joey Anderson is a guy they believe can be in that mm. bottom six and play a pretty crucial role, which is either. So what do you got to do to provide value in the bottom six for the Leafs? Goal scoring obviously is not going to be something that they're going to be too concerned with. Uh, they want to be a tougher team to play against. I'm not sure if the if he provides that, but defensive acumen, being a strong defensive forward, being a guy who can shut down or help shut down other talented lines from the opposition. I think that's where he fills in. Now, I don't know exactly, you know, what the combinations are going to look like, but I do think he's going to be a contributor for the Maple Leafs right mm-hmm. away. Uh, I think you probably know a little bit more about what Joey Anderson provides. So I'll, I'll offer the floor to you, but I do like the fact that they went out and, and identified a player that fills a need for them immediately instead of just going out and getting a draft pick, unless it was, I mean, a first rounder you'd rather have, obviously, but obviously that wasn't on the table for them. Uh, I think this is a guy they've been watching. This is a guy they identified. This is a guy who can potentially fill the roles that are open, wide open on the bottom six because of, of all the movement. Uh, Joey Anderson has a chance to make a difference for this Leafs team. And if he does, that'd be a strong get on what is simply a salary dump. So remember how much we were fawning over Blake Coleman during the playoffs, how we loved him, how he was everything Casper Kaplan should have been, all that kind of stuff. Um, when, so this is from, like, Rachel Dory, who worked in the, in the um, Devils front office, in the hockey, hockey operations department, um, when Joey Anderson was part of that organization. So she would know better than anyone, and she put out a great thread, you should find that, Rachel Dory, um, that kind of explained everything with him. Um, yeah, Joey Anderson essentially – he they viewed him as a Blake Coleman type player they've signed him to be sort of like a a mini Blake Coleman and he was never really able to reach that because he wasn't given a chance to develop properly now he's 22 and I'd much rather have in terms of a win now team the Leafs are a win now team as much as you want to build to the future they need to they need to maximize this window Frederick Anderson's in the last year of his deal um, and whether or not they want to get another goalie is, is besides the point they need to start maximizing these contracts and to get a 22-year-old who's kind of on the precipice of breaking in, opposed to a second rounder or a third rounder who you might not who might not see the you know the NHL for another four years, that's a coup right there. They clearly like this guy, and he he wins puck battles. He um, he's relatively fast. He's he makes quick, simple decisions. This is what Rachel Dory is saying. He can be a, a very good uh, penalty killer. And he's got good hands in front of the net. 
I think that's everything you kind of want to, you kind of want in, in a, in a Leafs bottom six player. He also, he needs a new deal. He's an RFA um, or a category 10.2 RFA. I'm not sure exactly what that means. Um, I should probably know that, but uh, essentially he'll, he'll be making, he'll be making 750 grand or something like that. It'll be, it'll yeah. be low. Um, and I think if you can have a guy like that come in, he's fast. He can win puck battles. He's good defensively. He can chip in the odd goal here or there. Um, but he costs nothing. And also he was never given an opportunity to develop. And now he will. The Leafs have one of the best, if not the best developmental staffs in the entire league. So if they can really take advantage of that, I think it's great. And what I love the most about him, and I know we're talking a lot about intangibles on this, but it, it matters because the Leafs really lacked a lot of character last year is this guy's coming in and with a self-proclaimed chip on his shoulder. He wants to succeed. He wants to prove himself. And he models himself, and this is, this is kind of the reason why they have him there. He models himself after Zach Hyman. That is, I mean, that, that is, is there, you know, better music to the ears of any Leafs fan for a guy who's coming in in the, in the sort of mold of, of Joey Anderson? He's already trying to make himself into the most, you know, uh, the most lovable Leafs forward from an on-ice and off-ice perspective and a guy who just does his job, goes to work, performs any, any role that he's put in and does it very effectively. Um, uh, uh, Andreas Janssen there. You'd want to have him in that lineup, and I'm sure it was tough for Dubas to move him out, considering all the ties he's had and how much they've been able to nurture him from you know a 2013 seventh round pick all the way up to the to an NHL regular, a 20 goal guy. But he's just a luxury you couldn't afford. And coming off of those uh, of those injuries, you couldn't trust him to be in a lineup for an entire season. He's always injured, and he plays the kind of style of game that his frame might not be able to keep up with. So I think getting a guy like Joey Anderson into, in, into the organization gives him a, a developmental chance he never really had in New Jersey. It gives him a, a legitimate shot to win. Um, not to win. gives him a legitimate shot to make an NHL lineup and also surrounds him with guys who, he, who seems to, he already seems to idolize in the first place and try to reflect himself on in a player archetype. I think it's great. I, I, this isn't you know, a swing. This isn't a complete home run. I was kind of hoping for a little more from an Andreas Janssen trade. But if you're talking about just a one-for-one one chip, I'd much rather Joe, um, Joey Anderson than even a second-round pick. I think this is a great. I think this is a great trade for the Leafs. And look, if Janssen if Janssen scores 20 goals next year for the for the Devils, good on him. That's great. It, it just he wasn't going to do that with the Leafs. I think this fits a lot better for them, and it also gives them so much more flexibility to make more moves and add to their roster as as the offseason. I was going to say summer. It's not summer. The offseason goes on. Yeah, you can't really be concerned with Andreas Janssen's going to do because uh, you've got your own player to build around in Nick Robertson, and obviously uh, the cap situation is just what it is. You cannot afford to have a player uh, that's not guaranteed to be in the top six making $3.4 million, and you're right. The window to win now, and that is now. And I mentioned, you know, that's why I wasn't concerned with, you know, years five, six, and seven with Petrangelo because it is so important what they do in these next one, two, three seasons and getting Joey Anderson who couldn't contribute now, you're right, much more important than a second round pick who we're looking at contributing maybe four or five years down the road mm -hmm. uh, in the same, you know, maybe in the same line as Amarov, who we're not going to see obviously for a couple seasons here. Um, so very important that they got a guy who can contribute now, whether Joey Anderson is that guy. I mean, we don't know for sure. He's only 22. Um, He's young. Like he has, he has, like people forget, Janssen's not a young guy. He's not captain. He's 25. Joey Anderson has runway left. He's able to still develop oh, and get he better. Can, he can step in, but you'd like him to be ready immediately. Mm -hmm. uh, and obviously there's development to go, but you can develop on the fly here. Yeah. I mean, you, there's going to be space for you to break into this top six. It is not, you know, 
there should be open competition. There should be many more players added. Uh, there should be a lot that goes into training camp and figuring out who this bottom six is going to – the best configuration for this bottom six. And I think Anderson's going to be involved. And if he really does give you Hyman-like traits or Coleman-like traits, he's going to be of use to the Maple Leafs who definitely need more of that. Okay, let's transition to what's next. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leafs have less than half million dollars left in cap space and two important restricted free agents to sign. Now, that's not exactly accurate because, you know – they can sort of maneuver around the cap a little bit with who's active and who's not. Uh, but both these players, it looks like, are not headed towards major paydays. Mikhaev is going to uh, arbitration. Now, immediately that scared me a little bit because Mikhaev, you'd think it wouldn't be this difficult to get him under contract for another season because, you know, he had he only played half a year. Uh, he's a guy who didn't put up huge numbers, and I'm not sure what he's going to be what you know how he's going to be bringing what he's going to be bringing to the bargaining table rather but I guess that works in arbitration it's just that the Leafs need to be in control of their assets so that kind of makes you a little bit uneasy that they're not in control of what potentially not in control of what McKayev is going to be earning but I think that'll be okay I think the bigger story is Dermot and what he's going to make Mm -hmm. and if he even has a place on this team moving forward given the logjam on defense Uh, but it looks like they've escaped salary cap hell uh, for the time being, uh, anything to add, I guess, as they try to move the pieces in place here. Yeah, Mikheyev, I, I, was, uh, I was talking to James Myrtle the other day, and he was saying, like, Mikheyev might have the weakest arbitration case ever. Like, it's, like he's played, played, like, what, 30 games? And he's yeah. played half a season. He's 26. Like, it's – or, yeah, he's 26. He turned, you know, he turned 26 the other day. Happy birthday, Ilya. Um, I think – yeah, it's a little weird that it has to come to this point, but he's clearly, like, he clearly doesn't have a leg to stand on bargaining-wise, and he's going to do kind of what Andreas Janssen did before, where he realized he never, he'd never like to stand on, and so he's like, okay, I'll take whatever, I'll take whatever the kind of the cards are dealt here. He, Andreas Janssen, before he signed his deal um, two years, or a year ago, so two years ago, he accepted his qualifying offer, which is like 700 grand, put up a 20-goal season, and then cash in, and I think that's what McKay is going to do. It's the smart thing for him to do. Why would you lock yourself into, you know, three years at, 2.5 million or something when you when you're able to actually play a full season and you possibly put up 25 goals then you're like oh great well I'm severely underpaid for the next three years and then I might not actually get that payday when I'm 30 so why not why not you know let the arbitrator decide what you're going to get it'll probably be somewhere in the range of a million to, to 950,000 somewhere around that that range probably that might even be a bit generous I don't know that'd be a and huge then, win yeah huge and then you there'd be a huge win in the short term but then you score those you score that as much as you were going to before you got hurt last year, let's say he puts in 25 goals, then you're able to cash in next year. And yeah. I think it works better for the player, for the team, maybe not so much, but they were never, I, I think that his agent is so, um, his agent is just so savvy in this regard that he was never going, he was never going to let the Leafs lock his client into a contract that like that, like the Leafs, maybe it'll pull it on, but they clearly, uh, Milstein's clearly very involved in this. He's basically the GM at this point. Um, and so I, there's so many, there's so many aspects of that. At the same time, Mikheyev, once he gets, like, once he gets this, this qualifying offer, um, or, or not qualifying offer, once he gets this arbitration, um, thing, he, he, he has the opportunity to go, to go back to the KHL, but then if he ever wants to come back to the NHL, he's got to play for one year on that, on that kind of dollar figure. He already, he, he said, he said, I like soup once into camera and he's now, He's now cashing checks from the biggest soup company in Canada right now. I think he, I think he really likes, 
I think he, I think he should probably really like the situation that he's in right now. And if he has to sacrifice a couple dollars to be satisfied in that, then that's probably what's going to happen. But everyone was freaking out about him going to arbitration. I saw, you know, why can't we have nice things, all that. This is, this was expected. This was absolutely expected. And this is also not taking into it. This is not sort of um, issuing the fact that he could, like the Leafs could come to a deal with him tomorrow. Like they still have the arbitration meetings are being held, I think, starting a week from today on, on October 20th. So the Leafs have a week to possibly negotiate something else with them. And if not, they're going to get a great deal with them for this year. And then they sort it out next year down the line where they have some more flexibility, where a lot of these one-year guys are coming up and they'll be able to graduate some prospects and kind of maneuver things again as well. And it helps a lot that they don't have $8.8 million on their cap in Alex, in Alex Petrangelo to really bog them down with, with uh, bringing up that depth. As we, as that's what we in the biz call call a callback. So, yeah, it's I, I I think that this is not a big deal. But at the same time, there are other moves to be made. I I you know I think they're gonna get they're gonna add another center, bargain bin guy, and a third goalie. I think that's pretty much it. We'll see until training camp, at least. Tell you what, if there's the arbitrator attended the Toronto Maple Leafs midsummer camp, they'd be in trouble because Ilya Mikheyev was the oh, star yeah, of that training camp, and uh, it did not really translate to the NHL's restart. Uh, okay, you mentioned a center and a third goalie. Third goalie is obviously on the docket. They said goodbye mm-hmm. to Casimir Kaskasuo. Uh, yeah. Definitely yeah. can make stand to improve out. there. Definitely can stand to improve there. Uh, I do believe they got to add a center. Again, we mentioned Joe Thornton. I'd be a little reluctant to do that, but uh, I, you know, we don't have to rehash my concerns of the bottom six. We'll see what it looks like moving forward. Um, but some guys are definitely going to have to step up to fill the uh, to fill the losses of Casperi Kapanen and Andreas Janssen, who you know weren't the biggest factors for the Maple Leafs last year, but were certainly you know quality bottom six or middle six guys. So we'll see what happens with the rest of the offseason. Is there anything you want other any other impressions? Anything else? you want to mention before we wrap it up before the next signing and then we'll hopefully be able to talk about the Leafs at length again once that happens. Yeah. I mean I'm just looking at um what's it called? I'm just I'm just kind of looking at the the centers that are available right now. And there are like there there's some decent names. Like you know you have Carl Soderberg who's who's still in the market, Joe Thornton Thornton, sorry, Michael Grandlin, and Athan um Athanasio if he wants to play center he's still out there, Eric Hall, guys like that. Um there are there are some moves that, they, that the Leafs can make. I think that's very important for them right now because right because if I don't think that you can really I don't think you can bank on Kerfoot for a full season to play three C. At least you want to have another option there. So if you can get one of these depth guys, go in. But yeah, I I, I think that there are going to be more moves that, we, that are going to be made next time we we convene, which will probably be next week. There will be there will be developments for us to talk about. But I'm really, I'm really happy with, with what the Leafs were able to do. I'm really happy with, the, with their ability to address all the needs that essentially they, they had moving into the offseason and fit it under the cap and give themselves some more flexibility to add wherever they kind of needed to. I think that this was maybe not a, an A-plus offseason for Cal Dubas, but A-minus for sure. He got, he got a lot of guys who, have, who bring experience, who bring those, those needs that they need to have filled on bargain bin prices and they're they're able to address that the biggest need potentially which is the that you know top pairing defenseman at a really reasonable price i think all in all great offseason i'd give them an a an a minus if we're giving grades i'll give a grade i'll give a b um because uh you know what if if i just can't get by the petro thing if uh i just think he's the guy you're really stuck on that eh? It be, he'd be the. This is a legitimate superstar, right? Shot yeah. D, the guy who fixes all their problems. 
Uh, and I think pride got in the way of things. I don't think pride should be getting away in the way of managing an NHL team. And that's why I, I'm just reluctant to give full marks because, you know, I like what they did. I like the moves that they've made. They've done about as well as you possibly can, given the constraints and all of the sacrifices they had to make. But I, I just, I just don't think you should box yourself in. And I believe that's what they've done. Now it might work out beautifully, but again, this you just signed good contracts and you won't be in a you won't be in a bind and I think you could have got Petro on a good contract I hope my last I guess point I hope they get Michael Grabner on a good contract he's a guy who's going to wait apparently until the start of the season or until he knows more about what's going to happen uh in 2020-2021 I, like uh, I think he'd be the perfect guy to just be Casperi Kapanen and light on that right side or on the left side I'm not sure exactly which wing he is but he can fit on either side and he can give them a, that same dimension uh, for a much cheaper rate, probably, and they're going to have room to, you know, they got to sign a couple more one million dollar or less than one million dollar mm -hmm. deals with some guys that are going to be able to uh, just play for the Marlies. I don't think Grabner would be destined for the Marlies, but maybe he he provides an upgrade on one of the guys who ends up being with the Marlies. So that's one guy I'd, I'd like to see uh, them invest in as a you know super penalty killer and a guy who can bring a little speed. So he'd be at the top of my wish list, but he might not even be playing in the NHL next year. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, but we'll leave it. An A minus from you, a B from me. Regret over the fact that Alex <laughs> Petrangelo is a Vegas Golden Knight from me, and mm -hmm. immense pride in TJ Brody on your side. Yeah, I would. I would say that you summed it up perfectly. Uh, until the next signing, I, I'm assuming we will have more, and I guess we'll probably have an episode on all the other things happening mm -hmm. because, as much as the world revolves around the Maple Leafs, for and us, it does. There are 30 other teams, soon to be 31 other teams, that uh, did some pretty crazy things this offseason as well. So not sure what our next podcast will look like, but it will involve hockey players and their contracts. Mike, let's just sign it off. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.